fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Panarin breaks toward the net. He's double teamed, and it's knocked away. Zibanejad. Deep. You know, getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep. You can never go wrong with getting pucks in deep. Just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep. Pucks in deep. Puck deep. Pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Pucks in deep podcast. Episode 72. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko back here on a Tuesday evening here at the farm. Just cracking some cold pints in a... I guess I was going to say in addition, but we haven't really done anything just yet. We just got here. Getting established. Getting established. Move things around a little bit here in the garage. It, all in preparation for a huge show. We're really pumped about tonight's show, as you can see from the title. And if you're following us on Twitter, at PuckPod, you've uh, known for a few hours now that we've got a big guest coming here, Lesko. Big guest tonight. Yes, sir. Mr. Luke Fox, columnist and author. He writes a lot of content for Sportsnet. I'm sure many of our, at least our Leaf followers, would be familiar with his work. Uh, he pumps out a ton of content. Eh? Like I, I think he's probably second to Down Goes Brown in like churning out constant content. You know, here's what I do like about Luke's content in particular, though. And I mean, not just to stroke him off because we got him coming here on the show, but... It's not necessarily like, uh, what do these guys uh, do for fun? Uh, what are their pet peeves and their favorite music? He's a music guy. We'll talk to him about that too coming up here on the Pucks and Deep podcast. But I guess what I'm getting at is he kind of keeps it to the ice, mostly, from what I read. It's all about what are we doing with the roster? Uh, what's the leadership looking like? Uh, are we addressing the fact that we haven't been hard to play against? Like everything is, he's basically answering questions that a lot of the actual Leaf fans out there have. And that's part of his mailbag, which I saw you were featured on his mailbag. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I dropped, uh, dropped a question on there and uh, I asked him about the, uh, about. Uh, I said, should uh, the Sharks allow Kane to box? Right, yeah. Um, emphatic no as much as he agreed with me that it would be cool so <laughs> well that's exactly what we we talked about on our last show right our last show we talked about that exactly we got into it uh i believe we got into it a little bit about how i was just telling you look man it's not gonna happen i know you want it. i want it too but the nhl would just never allow it and i think that is that's the question you would ask them was uh should the nhl allow right. Evander Kane to box, which really is the, the, the big picture question. And I still don't think we're going to get it. And I believe Luke had said the same thing to you. Like, uh, what did he say? As much as the fan in me wants to see it, it yeah, ain't going to happen, yeah. right? It's the same idea. But yeah, it's... Uh, Appreciate look- him humoring me, though. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And um, obviously, that was the first time that, you know, you guys had had a connection there. And because... I had been talking to Luke through our podcast uh, Twitter page, so you hadn't even really been a part of it. I don't even think he knew who you were, to be completely honest with you, when he did that, which is even cooler because it's not like he appeased you knowing (laughs) that he's going to come on the show soon. That's that's a lot of solids to do me in a short period of time. (laughs) He's doing enough by coming on our show. He don't owe me anything else. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. So anyway, um, what stumbled me up in the intro there is I was getting us a couple of cold beverages 
because uh, we I forgot to set us up with some amidst all the work that we've been doing here at the farm. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was getting all fired up. I, I was so uh, much has happened. I'm like, really fired the, up. Think about the doom and gloom tone kind of of our episode last time where we're like, is there going to be season or not? There's talking about money and not playing and can they legally do it? And yeah, and here we're in a much more comfortable position. We know there is a season coming, although there are a lot of moving parts still and logistics to be sorted out, but we do have a date. It's January 13th and I can't wait. Yeah. Last episode, I believe it was focused mostly around non-hockey players fighting in the boxing the ring lawyers and, and such and 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 then the lawyers owners and the players association fighting and and you and I basically saying what the heck is force majeure <laughs> what is force Did you majeure look it up? yes of I, course I, yeah. I looked it up to make sure i had a a proper understanding of it because nah, I mean, I'm like if I'm going to talk about this and this seems to be the main topic of the day going into the show I better get this right I was in a chat group I think I've referenced this chat group with you multiple times the boys will be happy about it a lot of them in the group listen I don't even really know any of them they're just guys that I came across to be within this chat group it's a fantasy football chat group I've never played fantasy football ever but me and the one guy in the group get into it a lot the two of us and I kept on saying force majeure because I said, well, the player, like they want to, the owners want to enact force majeure because of this and that. And I really set he, you up then. He was saying, yeah, but it, it is, it is a, a valid argument because it's such a fluid situation. It's constantly changing. And I, I kind of said, well, but they knew about the pandemic then. Like I was taking your side after our podcast, you convinced me and I took your side to argue with this new guy about it. I have that effect on people. And he kept saying to me, or no, what did he say to me? He goes, stop typing force majeure. <laughs> he said, I feel like you're just saying it for the sake of saying it. But the funny thing is, is I, I, I'd never heard of that. I don't, I before. feel like we'll probably each go another 20 years of our time on earth without saying or having a discussion using such terminology again. Well, now we know what it is. Yeah, so... So we can move right along. And we do know that the league is going to be coming back. End of yeah, story. Yeah, and we are going to see that all-Canadian division. We uh, had a lot of hints about most recently. And uh, I thought, you know, at first I was... That's what I'm most excited about. And I imagine the season we're going to be so engaged in the new rivalries we're going to see across that. And, and you know, these... Um, what I'm most excited about is this idea that there's going to be essentially like baseball-like miniseries going on throughout the season in order to eliminate travel and distance. And and I believe we've talked about it probably several episodes ago, how cool that would be to see those. Uh, I guess it sounds like they're going to be three-game miniseries throughout the season. I'm going to love that. Well, logistically, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, minimizing travel. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if we... I mean, I'm sure we talked about this recently when the All-Canadian Division was originally floated. And, and even back then, let's go, it wasn't just floated. Like, there were people on the inside that were saying, like, it it, it has to happen. It because of the, the border. It has yeah. to happen. It's not because of geographical or whatever. It's just because of the border issues. End of story. Has to happen. There's seven teams, so it works out perfectly anyway. If there was only five teams, well, we'd have to figure something out. Mm -hmm. But anyway, past that point, basically, it, it's it's a really great thing. And I'm, I know that I've been a proponent of this for probably a couple of years now. Maybe two or three years ago, I had heard 
um, someone had suggested the idea that it would be cool if we saw a baseball-like schedule. And I thought about it, and at first I was like, ah, that doesn't make any sense anyways. Like, baseball does that because there's a 1,000 games in the season. The NHL doesn't have to do that with only 82 games. It doesn't matter. It's all relative. It doesn't matter how many games you play. If you're supposed to play this team three times in the season, then why not do it all at one time? Mm -hmm. And I know it gets a lot of pushback in terms of, you know, there, there will be a couple of weeks, let's say, where you play, you know, you, you might play Arizona this week and then you play Anaheim the following week. And because of those two teams being in your barn on back-to-back weeks, you might not have the greatest uh, season ticket or like you might not have the greatest sales and tickets. But at the same time, because of those mini-series, you might gain a rival out of this mm-hmm. because you don't just see them in October and then again in, in March and then that's it two times. maybe you play them back to back every time. Like if it's an East West conference kind of thing in a normal world, when you do see them, you see them at least twice in a row. So you're coming back to the rink with the same bad blood that you left with like less than 24 hours earlier. Yeah. You see a lot of that in the playoffs where, you know, game one can be kind of tepid or a little hectic. And then you, you get in the game two and three. And even as a fan, you're like, I'm sick of this guy. Like, I hate this, this guy. Like, for instance, in the last series, I'm like, this guy Dubois, he's an amazing player, but I friggin' hate him right I now. Like, he's guy. driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, you, and you, you might not have hated that player before that series. Last yeah, you have no reason to hate PLD, I but think, now you do. I think one of the nice things about that as well, and, and I notice it a lot when, when the Leafs would play a team, especially if they played them a couple of years in the row in the playoffs, you learn so much about that other team and about those players yes. that you never really would have because you might they might have played a couple times a year and you caught say maybe one of those games and you know I find myself a lot of the time I'm paying more attention to the team I'm rooting for when I'm watching the Maple Leafs games and a lot less to the others but you know when they play them four five six seven times you know, you're you're and it's inevitable you're going to see more of these players learn more and guys are going to stand out that you'd never even probably realized was on the roster maybe yeah and you know it's 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 interesting that you bring that up dude because it it really opens up another question or it opens up pandora's box to say like imagine what it must be like to be a coach in in the league or in, in any sports league because that's your job your job is to prepare for that and the way the schedule is now my goodness coaches are being forced into preparing for a game on tuesday and then changing strategy completely to be prepared for the game on thursday and then saturday sunday back to back against two separate teams you know so like how are you supposed to prepare your guys and i know that this is kind of a we're going off off the rails a little bit here but it just opened my mind to to think about that so now you you know you're playing this team for the next three games. So you can zone in on a strategy. Your boys can get hungry about doing this or doing that. And then you play a different team, you know, two or three days later, and you get a chance to reboot and change a little bit, adjust on the fly to a new team, a new strategy. And maybe your team isn't looking forward to playing that series because it's going to be stingy. It's going to be a Columbus or a New York Islanders kind of pushback game. Those games aren't as much fun to play in, but maybe it allows coaches to better prepare their teams for mini series instead of games against you know a different team every night. It's definitely going to change the outlook, like you were saying, from a coach's standpoint for management and how you manage your personnel and how you cycle guys in and out of the lineup, especially as expected. I, I imagine sooner or later we're going to find out um, 
that they're going to have expanded rosters. And with this compressed schedule, too, I mean, there's talk of up to four games in a week for a team. So, I mean, the only way to, to mash this many games into such a short period of time, uh, these are definitely ways they're going to be able to pull it off by having so many games compressed and by um, eliminating so much travel and so much back and forth and flying in one day and flying out the next. You know, and that way you're also minimizing, obviously, exposure and opportunities for exposure to uh, COVID. Yeah, and this whole thing revolves around expenses, right? Like you're eliminating a lot of expenses. Teams fly in, that's it. You guys are here until you fly out. And, you know, luckily enough, we're basically just crossing paths. You guys are flying in the air to that city and they're flying over here. It's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really interesting season, man. And we all we all applauded the NHL and the NHLPA for putting their minds together and, and figuring out their return to play in such you know what seemed to be perfectly smooth uh, transi- transaction really between the two of them when we came back to play. And not only did they come back to play, but they they extended the CBA like it was almost crazy. Like you guys, we got shut down by a global pandemic and then you worked it out over Zoom meetings where not only are we going to return and do this bubble and have zero cases and award the Stanley Cup, but we're also going to extend our CBA. Like it it almost seemed too good to be true. And then it was. For a moment it was. It was too good to be true for for a brief moment. And that brief moment lasted longer than I would have liked it to have lasted. However, that's what she said. Um, we're, we're back. We're, we're ready to go. They've pushed the economic problems, I guess, to the side for now. More on that later, because that, that worries me. Like just cause we're out of the woods here doesn't mean we're out of the woods in the future. Like they, I don't think that they just agreed on this economic framework. I think they kind of put a little pin in it and said, okay, you guys win, you guys win this round. But what, what's going to happen six years from now? Well, and what's going to happen even after this season? Because, I mean, if, if it's only been several months after, you know, they actually came to that agreement that they were already looking at, at ways of changing it, it wouldn't surprise me if we hear again in the off season that there's chatter behind the scenes or directly about modifications or change or further changes and you know, whenever the next off season is, whatever it ends up being, next summer, fall, or something like that, it's we're gonna have a bigger picture of what the fallout is, the economic fallout is for the NHL in this situation, and I would imagine that they are looking at exploring every possible additional revenue stream, and I think that's what has thrust the advertisements on jerseys and helmets conversation back into into the spotlight well wasn't one of those things just confirmed recently or it it wasn't confirmed confirmed right but they it looks like helmets helmet ads are going to become a thing as early as this season ads on helmets is that what i was reading i didn't see anything confirmed about it i just heard that there was a lot of conversations around it um i know that the players were polled on uh, logos on jerseys and this was about five years ago and they were uh, i think it was over 90 five percent opposed but why? apparently that opi- that opinion is softened though but why would they be over 90 percent opposed I what think, is opposing the player who cares i think they for the most part they have they probably have just just like the old school fan does they have that attachment to the the heritage and the not disturbing the uniform and you know there's a pride aspect to it i imagine as well but 
I, I'm sure once they can put it in dollars and cents and, and the situation becomes more clear, like the, the dire economic situation that most sports leagues are going to find themselves in, might have everyone changing their tune. And that seems to be what's happening right now. And, you know, helmets, I'm not opposed to that as much as I, I'm a little eh, on the jersey. Like the helmets, I'm like, okay, put it on the back. They're always putting poppies and, and uh, yep. other commemorative yep. stickers on the backs of the helmets. Absolutely. If they, if they throw friggin' Sun Life on the back or whoever it may be, intact insurance or, you know, something like that, I'm fine with that because it's, it's inoffensive. You know, as long as it's not Skoda Auto on yeah, a yeah. bumper sticker <laughs> on the front of the helmet, I'm good. Overlapping the visor. <laughs> it's so true. But, like, let, let me ask you this question, though. As someone who, you know, you, you didn't say that you're totally against it. You're putting both feet down. You're never going to watch again if they put no, ads on no, jerseys. of course not. But you did mention that you're kind of, eh, you know, I don't know about it. I'm going to ask you what seems to be an absolutely stupid question, but I think you'll understand the reason for me asking you this. If I gave you two scenarios, which one would you choose? Scenario number one, players get locked out by the owners because there's no fucking money. Option number two, players play hockey with ads on jerseys. Which one are you going to take? I mean, if, if it were that simple, obviously you're going to pick playing, right? Well, If it's that simple. Well, at, at this point in time, what keeps them off the ice consistently is arguing over money. Yeah. And all these other leagues, Giannis just got $42 million a season. Yeah. Okay? Today he signed 42-something yeah. a year. Yep. That's like one team's cap in the <laughs> NHL in recent years, you know? Like... They are selling ads. Now, of course, I know that their scope is much bigger. Their, their fan base is bigger and all that nonsense. But you cannot get bigger if you don't allow yourself the opportunity to do so. And our, our, our crazy obsession as hockey fans with tradition and you know not changing, like tradition just stalls progression. That's what it does at its core. I'm all for traditions. I like doing the, you know, whatever, Christmas traditions and other family traditions, birthday stuff, like things that develop out of thin air where your buddies do a yearly trip. That's a tradition. Those things are great. You don't have to change those. You don't have to get those things monetized. Those are fun things that you do with your family, friends, and loved ones. The, the tradition aspect of a sport that makes money and pays its players to play it it goes well beyond tradition, man. Like, just get over it. Make as much money as you can. And I agree with you. You don't have to do Skoda. You don't have to paint all the circles and yeah. put a golden arches in the middle of them. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to go crazy. But but just make a few extra $100 million on a little tiny, you know, four by two inch crest that you put on the left side of the jersey. Like, get over it. Make some money. I think what it goes down to a lot of the time is the the players don't look at the business of the sport nearly as much. They care more about playing than anything else. And, you know, if it's going to keep the, it's going to be what's keeping them off the ice. And like I said, it was that simple in the situation you just painted. Yeah. They'd probably take that too. The NBA has been doing it for quite some time now. I'm not sure how many years the logos are very small and inoffensive. Some of them, little bigger than others might but, stick out but i believe i believe the raptors is sun life and it's it's very tiny like it's about the size of the swoosh would be on the on the jersey 
right? So yeah, if it, you put a border around yeah, it. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're only noticing that in close-ups and, you know, they're not going to sell it on the one you're buying at, at, at the Leaf store. You know, you're not going to buy one with the ad on it. Yeah, but I would want it with the ad on it. Do you think the, like... Me personally, uh, if I'm getting an authentic jersey, I want think, whatever's like, the, on the it. Do you think, the game authentic would have that on there? I don't know. That's an interesting question, but I like the question. <laughs> like, this question gets my juices I flowing. I personally I would. Yeah, but if you went to Sport Check and you got just, like, a like not an authentic replica that can cost you $400, like just a standard, you know, number 30, number number 34, Austin Matthews, 250, no fight strap, then no ad, no ad, no fight strap. But if I'm getting an authentic with a fight strap, I want the ad. I'm paying for what the player wears. Like if he forgot his at home, I could give him mine. I wonder what the difference is, and I don't understand where the money would go, but I wonder if a team like the Maple Leafs who goes, we like our jerseys, we don't want to screw with them, we don't want any part of this. We'll pay you the cost. Well, <laughs> pay I guess pay a tax in lieu, I guess, of the revenue that would be generated. And that's unfortunate because they probably get the biggest deal. Yes. But I have no idea you know, if this is an individual negotiation thing. Is it the team? Does the team go into HRR and then get, uh, the money go into HRR and then get spread amongst the league? I, I don't know how the business actually works. And I wonder if you know a team say said no, we don't want it, and they're they're able to opt out because they you know I just it's actually harder to picture an ad on the Montreal Canadiens hockey sweater more than any I think for me because of just it being the iconic OG, you know it's the OG hockey sweater it's just I. It, and they they haven't when did they ever change it you know it's just always been the same the Leafs basically the same. Yeah, well, those original six teams are, are going to be the ones that feature the most pushback. I don't think there's any think argument so there. Uh, but that being said, I mean, A, you can sell to the highest bidder, or B, you can go and find a company that will pay an appropriate amount, and that looks really good on the jersey. So, like, you know, Montreal is not going to go and get okay tire. Right. Like you're gonna find yellow a, you're on gonna red. find a, a company that can create a a variation of their logo that or fits your jersey scheme. That fits your jersey perfectly. Pretty cool though, if you thought about it that way. Like it's right. pretty neat if you thought about, you know, the idea that okay, guys, it's gonna cost you a minimum of six million. Mm-hmm. For six million, we will do comprehensive branding on the boards on the players' jerseys and all as well as their helmets. Yeah, I'm okay with helmets. Uh, it's going to take some work. And you know what? If they did it on the jerseys, a bunch of three years later, you wouldn't even notice them. That's what I'm I, saying. I, didn't, I barely notice them on the NBA players nowadays. Like every once in a while when you get a close-up of a guy, you're like, oh, yeah. You know, you're you, not you looking it. at it, though. Yeah, exactly. Like- so and especially in hockey, you know, during the play, there's no way you're going to notice it at all. Listen, the NHL isn't trying to market Austin Matthews's jersey. They're trying to market his face and his mustache and his hair and what he wears. And you know what I mean? And they're putting him in they're putting him in magazines and fashion this and I hey get, that, get get a picture right next to this other massive driven. Oh, I agree. No, I no, think, no. I'm not saying I, that I, they do know. that for him, Lesko. Yeah. I, I know he does that on his own. I'm you're you're taking that differently. I'm just saying from an NHL's perspective, they're not trying to advertise and market 
the jersey. They're they're trying that they're hoping that the player is marketable himself so that we will sell more Austin Matthews jerseys. And if there's a Sun Life financial advertisement on the shoulder, the people are not going to care. If he is as sexy as he can be and he's, you know, great with the media and does things for charity and kids and everyone loves the guy. The only reason to hate him is because he's a leaf. So lots of people naturally hate him. But even a lot of people that hate the Leafs, they hate him because they can't hate him. Do you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, I wish I could hate Matthews, but I just can't because he's because he's a beauty. Like, he's a great player. He doesn't seem to do it. Like, he's not a dirty player. He's a little soft. Okay, whatever. But I can't really hate on the guy just because he's Matthews a Leaf. soft. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying what you hear from other people sometimes. Oh, he gets hurt. He's a little soft. You know, he, he doesn't take the body, blah, blah, blah. Like, but you're, you can never Do truly, you can never truly chirp the guy because he's like both on know, and off the guys, ice. This guy sounds terrible. He sounds like well, he doesn't even watch on. hockey. You know what I'm talking about. He doesn't even sound like he watches hockey. <laughs> <laughs> um, question. What's up? How long has it been since we talked about Eugene Malnick on this podcast and the Ottawa Senators? Well, I'm sure if we didn't talk about him last episode, then we probably talked to him about talked about him two episodes ago. Yeah, I feel like he gets mentioned like once a month. But sometimes it's bigger than other times. Like sometimes it's a bigger story than than right. other times. You right. know what I mean? Like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's always maybe it's just always newsworthy <laughs> with Eugene. Well, it's very entertaining, and so we gave him the nickname Eugene the Content Machine. The Content Machine. I mean, he's provided us with plenty, and we thank him for that, and I will thank him again. Uh, <laughs> so he had a, quite the interview most recently, and uh, oh, yeah. a lot of um, okay. interesting quotes. Uh, you picked out a couple, uh, so you want to fire off yours, and I'll, I'll talk about the stuff that I picked out of there. Uh, sure. Okay, listen, so... I don't even know. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around it. Like I love optimism just as much as the next guy. And for a lot of you listeners here on the Pucks and D podcast, you you might already know that I'm a little too optimistic without even knowing who I am. Well, if you know who I was, I tend to get a little optimistic all the time. I'm not saying like this is our year every year or whatever. Pretty close. Well, <laughs> I I get excited. And I, like I knew when we were bad. And I had no qualms. You believe. You I had, believe. Yeah, You're a believer. I had no qualms about you know saying that that we were bad and that we weren't going to win. But anyway, let's let, let's let's get back on point here. I love optimism as much as the next guy, but this quote here. This is the team. With what we have right now, I believe we can win a Stanley Cup already, and that's without adding some veterans, which we plan to do. So, I mean, man, like, it's just a tough quote. Like, I like to hear optimism and I like to hear the, the, ba- the backing of our owner. But this is some blatant false advertising. Like, that's some this blatant This is some Trump-level fal- false advertising right now. Yeah. Like... Right I, now, dude? Without right now. adding any vets. Right now. I mean, right now. Right so, now. So in they COVID. Just, I... I we don't even know what their roster is going to look like in the in the Canadian division, where they are clearly one hundred percent consensus to be finishing last place. More than likely, I mean, don't get me wrong; anything can happen. These could these kids could have a hell of a season. They could surprise everybody. So, what are his expectations, though? Like, is that his expectations? Well, like, that's going to be a angry. Really good question. Is he going to be angry if they don't make the playoffs this year? Like, I thought you boys were competing for a cup. 
And they're like, yeah, well, thanks for saying that in the media, Eugene. No pressure, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Huge. I, I, nice I, play, bud. It's a confusing quote. We're going to be buyers at the deadline? That's another thing. That's Like, does he think everyone's just going to forget they said this stuff when these times roll around? Yes, I do. I do too because I, I feel like I, do. I I feel like he's 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 emulating a politician in that sense where he's just saying what people want to hear and then in six more months he's going to say more of what people want to hear. It would be equivalent to the to the we can and we will promise by Dubis. It would be equivalent to that if we already had Carey Price at ten million, and if we already had right. Petrangelo like at you're nine up million, the cap yeah, and said you're going to sign three guys. No, you're to, not. To big like deals. Kyle, no, you're not. Yeah. But 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 we could, and we did. So that was a tough one that that came true, and he paid a bit of a penalty, and he's admitted. We'll talk about Dubis later in the Leafs with Luke, but it's kind of similar to that sense where. He promised something that was attainable, and we paid the price to do it. Eugene is now, I don't think he's promised. He's not promising anything less. Well, he kind of promised to be buyers at the day. I don't know what to make of it, but he's saying something that I don't think he can he can make true in even his wildest right. dreams. It sounds like they found some, some financial liquidity. Like they must have found some backers because they're spending – a bit of money. There's not only are they spending money on players who aren't even playing for them, like Gabrick, but you know they they signed Matt Murray to a six million dollar contract, and they have made an effort to start to add again. So it's it's nice to see that they're looking to go in that other direction. That you know I'm sure Eugene and, and Pierre Dorian are at this point where they're like, okay, we've bottomed out. It's time to start going the other way. But promising the moon or or alluding that it just it's it's frustrating to hear from him and I'm sure for Sam's fans to hear from him too, because they already place zero credibility in the things the man says, and this just adds to it. And it, it maybe you, maybe Melda thinks he has nothing to lose, to be honest, in saying this crap because it's not like he's not popular anyway. I know, but but he should he not be trying to do some sort of reputation res- restoration? You might be right about that. I but mean, this doesn't help. I'm not right no. about anything. That's not I'm, that's not what I meant. I was asking the question. No, you're right, and and kind of a little bit of remediation, like trying to fix this isn't fix the way to do damage it. relationships. And he might just believe that the best way to do that is to put a winning product on the ice. But as we've seen, the fans can be pretty fickle, and it was only a few years ago that they did have a winning product on the ice. Yes, and, and they, they and they gave it all and away. They pulled the plug, and at the time, and I still am of the belief that a lot of that was driven by financial considerations. And I, I'll I get think, into that. I think most people have that thought. Yeah, and I'll get into it. So here's here's the quotes that I segmented out of uh, the interview that he did, and. It was such, again, going back to that, I don't know, that that almost saying what people want to hear or, or pumping yourself up, pumping your own tires, I guess. But okay. he said uh, when they tore down the team that, quote, no one has ever done this before. <laughs> As if we haven't seen several teams do that over the last few seasons. And the other one was he said that, they had already decided they were tearing down and they weren't going to offer contracts to those guys, i.e. Stone, Carlson, 
you know, the core of that team that, that helped carry them on that run. But they did but get they offers. Did. We know they we did. We know Pierre, they Pierre did. Dorian said in February, yeah, we're negotiating with Stone. <laughs> we've offered we've offered Eric Carlson. I'm pretty sure Melnick even confirmed they had offered contra- uh, contract to Carlson. That was one of our main Eugene stories on this yes. very podcast was, so either, was the disconnect between were they offered deals or were they right. not? What is happening? So either they weren't and they lied about it then or they did and they're lying about it now. <laughs> Neither of those things are good. <laughs> Neither of those things are any good for just, anybody. It's just revisionist history. Man. And it wasn't that long ago. I remember it, so you know their fans remember it. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't know, dude. The, I mean, the, the, he he has a blog now. Yes, he cre- that's cre- the best news. He we created saved- a website for himself. That's the best news for last. We saved it. The best Eugene content machine piece is he has his own blog where he can the content machine has its own home now okay you can check that out what is that what is that web dress give it to the people i don't even know hold on i don't have it i web linked it it's it's eugene oh it's 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 eugene melnick.com i mean the guy couldn't even the guy couldn't even stay local and go with the ca and the the go with the dot ca local he doesn't even live in this country i know but like someone put that on twitter they're like couldn't even pony up for the ca eh, (laughs) eugene and they looked it up and it's even available oh dot ca is probably an extra 40 bucks on GoDaddy or whatever (laughs) i don't know so yeah if if you want to keep in touch with Eugene and his thoughts, now I don't know how. I, I did look at it, and it's it's obviously quite polished and things. I don't think it, it's like a Twitter feed where he's just going to be going on there no. and typing in all caps. That's what Jack Maxwell is for. That's yeah. That's what we have. We have burners like Jack Maxwell for. <laughs> but this is Eugene. It, it should Milman, be interesting. Owner of the Ottawa Senators, businessman and philanthropist. Yes, of course. So he and he's got lots of things on your sports owner, Ottawa Senators, Belleville Senators, and horse racing, uh, business leader, founder, and CEO of BioVale. So this has got to be like maybe this is part of his his restructuring. So not only rebranding, not only is he doing a rebuild of this team, he's rebuilding his reputation (laughs) via this blog. Yeah. Okay. What I find interesting though is that like. Well, I mean, he said it, so obviously he must believe it or he must want to share it. But he's got, you know, December 6th, there's three articles here. Bruce Garriott, Eugene Melnick is confident the Ottawa Senators can bring home a Stanley Cup. Which are a lot of these where we peeled a lot of these quotes. Wow, you know, moving on to the next one. NHL.com, Senators have turned the corner, believe they can win the Cup. So I don't believe there is that article, though, that the Sun published a year or so ago that Eugene Melnick, the Senators need to find a way to get new ownership. I don't suppose he's sharing any of those articles. He doesn't need that one making its rounds. <laughs> Is there any articles by Ian Mendez on, on his site? I don't know. I, but I'm excited to see. Like, I, I, I wish that he would have put forth like, uh, like a, a welcome to my, a welcome to my website blog. There, there wasn't. Like, I wanted to just. I want a personal message. Yes, from I agree. Eugene. Like, I want more than you just piecing together the the puff pieces out there and the stuff that you want people to see and saying I want, what i, you I want think i want filtered eugene yeah. yeah get this guy like a youtube channel instead we should get him on the pod all right well is there a contact tab on there the is website? there is one well <laughs> that's a little project for after <sighs> okay polish up your writing skills and mm. uh we'll see what we can do all right i hope he doesn't like pull up a list of our episodes though and like control f 
his name. <laughs> Control F. Because he's a he hasn't been a guest, but he's made frequent appearances on the show in the form of not so positive news stories over the years. It hasn't been flattering. I mean, it it just so happens that the debacle of the last few years is when our show has been running. And yeah, it's we, true. We live in the Ottawa Valley. We've covered it quite heavily. We do have quite a few local centers, fan listeners who. Unfortunately, when we talk about the team, we're kicking the dead horse sometimes, but positive things. Brady Kachuk's a great hockey player. Yeah, whatever, man. They deserved it. They cropped on us for years. Mm, true, true. And they're the ones choosing to tune in. You don't have to listen. I'm this glad you do. I'm glad you do. Don't I'm stop very, listening. I'm very, I'm very glad you listen. Please keep listening. I'm very glad you listen. But hey, I mean, if uh, to be honest with you, Lolesco, I think it's one of those things where they don't mind hearing what we have to say as long as it is not flattering. You know what I'm saying? Because then they feel that way too. A lot of Sens fans out there feel that way right now. Well, we're not on the wrong side of history. I'll put it that way. Yeah, you're right about that, my friend. So the story came out today that I wanted to bring up. Uh, we got a bit of time left here, maybe five minutes or so. Um, Mark Messier was in the news, and he's relatively low-key. Like You don't see him out and about a lot. You don't hear from him a whole lot. But uh, That's fair. I agree he, with that. Um, he's in a legal battle. He uh, he is alleging that he lost five hundred thousand dollar investment in a Alberta weed company called Destiny Bioscience. He said in a lawsuit that they used his celebrity to raise up to thirty million dollars in funding. Okay. Okay. Which, by the sounds of things, was part of the agreement. So that's not the funny part. The funny part about this is the statement of claim that he filed and how it. From based on what I've heard about Mark Messier, I mean, he retired when we were probably pretty young, like teenagers, I guess. Yeah. Um, he really, he not only was he good, but he he certainly knows it and still knows it to this day. Okay. So here is what it says. Like here's a, a direct quote out of the his claim. He is one of the greatest hockey players in history. Former New York Rangers captain, six-time Stanley Cup winner, and among the most famous celebrities in New York. That might be a stretch. Might be a stretch. New York's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's pretty big, one of the biggest cultural hubs in the world. It's an interesting question, though. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that that poo poos on on the big mess walking so, walking so downtown in New York City. He, he's on like par with Jeter. Yeah, no, like Trump, I guess. Yeah, no. Um, who, you know, other famous. There's lots of other famous <laughs> Some comedians, Knicks, maybe, and actors that are from New York. Spike Lee. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Kevin Durant. I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, no, I agree. That's, I agree. And, and I mean that was what ninety five or whatever when that happened. Yeah, it was crazy back then. I'm not sure how it, crazy like it is now. Like an unscientific uh, study where you just ran around New York and asked them if they knew who Mark Messier was. I, depending on the age, would probably tell you. If or they even knew him or just not. ask them to say rank these four athletes, one to four. Right. So I'll continue He'd on, on some of the quotes out of this, probably. Yeah. Um, his investment endorsement would therefore give Destiny and Moroz, who's the guy he's suing, I guess, was the CEO of this, or owner of this company, instant credibility. Uh, so they had this agreement and, and that he was going to help them build business relationships and so on and so forth. And he apparently was trying to play it safe, though. So he actually gave a personal guarantee that if he lost money, um, after his holding, because what happens? He bought four hundred thousand shares 
at a dollar twenty per share, that the company would pay him seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the value of the two hundred thousand dollar share. So his money back that he invested, plus some plus capital, or plus whatever. paying him back for the shares that he bought at this price. Wow. Okay. But then the company went under. Oh no. So I, I thought about it. And the statement's talking about like how big a celebrity endorsement would mean to the company. Well, it didn't mean that much because it didn't do too damn well, did yeah. it? Yeah. And I mean, further to that, let's go. How do you go under as a as a weed company in, I don't, in this market? I don't know. They had apparently they had about forty two million dollars in debt when they went into receivership, and now basically all the company's assets are being sold. So oh my equipment and goodness! And so on and so forth. But and now they got the big mess coming after them. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure he won't be the only one who's who's coming after that company. But just a little interesting tid- tidbit that, uh, courtesy of Rick Westhead, TSN, if you ever want to. Westy go, gets all the juicy tidbits, the juicy, eh? like legal, legal scoops. tidbits. He's on the beat. Like <laughs> I, I think it was O Dog who said once when I was listening to Overdrive, he's like, if I'm ever like hanging out with some. You know, former players or like in the in the say the alumni suite at the Leaf game, and Rick Westhead walks in. I am out. Yeah, I'm gone. I don't want anything to do with what he's what he's digging on. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> that's such a good point. If, if he's he in your vicinity, in, out. you're out of there. You know, there's something something's <laughs> afoot. You don't want anything to do with it. That's so funny, man. <laughs> oh yeah. So well, the mess is. I mean, the mess was pretty uh, popular, though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I hate I hate to make dis- it sound like we're bashing on him. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not at all. Obviously, he's one of the greats of all time. Although he is one strange cat. Have you ever like seen? the mess like at an event or I've, I know I've never seen him anywhere and I my I guess my favorite like tale about him and I'm sure there are plenty others I've heard some that I from a guy who used to live in Edmonton in the 80s that I can't repeat but you can probably guess what they're about and the only other story that I really enjoyed was uh when Kipper told the uh China Club story on Dangle's podcast that's one of the craziest and funniest stories I've ever heard Okay, well, do you care to tell it or I I I would just direct list our listeners okay, to, good. to the source on that one just cuz <laughs> I don't feel like it do it justice. Kipper tells it so well. He was there obviously okay. when it happened. Okay. And it's just an infamous story and gives you a bit of an idea of this guy's larger than life personality and, and standing in the city of New York at that time in the mid 90s. I just the only the only uh, thing I have to go off of for Mark Messier was when I was working for Bauer as a team sales rep. And and by team, I mean like minor hockey teams. <laughs> Pump the brakes, people. <laughs> oh my God, I wonder what team. No, no, no. Like minor <laughs> hockey teams, like local regional team reps. Uh, Mark Messier was there doing like a keynote speech. And I won't tell the big long story, but he was just a strange dude. Like he had, um, like he was out there kind of thing. Yeah. He was really into like your, your energy that you carry with you Hmm. that is outside your body. Interesting. You know, and you have to learn to be like a spiritual guy. Yeah. Interesting. I remember being like wide eyed, early twenties, and be like, "Man, friggin' Moose is here, baby! Like this is so sick." And then it was like, "What is he talking about, man?" And and then that kind of blew over. No big deal. Like so kind of lost you early. Kind of lost me early. Right. And then there was an on ice aspect where he was like, we were debuting new sticks and gloves. It was Bauer World. It was hosted in Florida. It was amazing. That sounds awesome. Oh, I still have my little badge. It was so cool. But uh, yeah, he was on the ice and. And they did like a, like a, the, the, um, target shooting, you know, like at the skills competition. And he went like 
0 for 30. Wow. Like bad. And he had like the microphone thing on. He had the, cause he oh, was like, no. yeah. Cause he was like skating around and talking to us. Like not right. everyone, not everyone got a chance to be on the ice. Right. So most of us were in the crowd and he was like going around and talking about like, you know, important things to teach kids while they play and it was really cool and then they got him to shoot at the targets and he was like well it's been a while so don't expect anything too great and then i felt embarrassed for him because he was he was just not fighting it yeah he was shooting good shots not like they were terrible shots like he he was shooting not accurate not accurate not hitting it man like eventually he was just like all right i'm shutting it down i'm starting i'm getting too tired Well, you, you think about it. Back in when he scored the majority of his goals, he's playing with Gretzky, and the goalies were like scarecrows. So, right. you didn't have to be you didn't have to be putting them bar down to to bury them, right? Scarecrows. <laughs> That's good. Okay, oh, man. you want to take quick? We're gonna take quick one here. We got Luke Fox coming up in just a few seconds because it's gonna seem like no time at all because this is gonna be edited together very beautifully by my friend Josh Coleman. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, uh, yeah, it would be nice if uh, someone else could edit it beautifully, like a little producer. Your, compu- you know your computer and your stuff. Apply within. Uh, well, uh, if I don't know if I can expense an, a laptop or <laughs> <laughs> some software. All right. Well, we'll be back shortly with Luke Fox from Sportsnet. All right. Here we are. We got Luke Fox on the line. Luke Fox from Sportsnet and author, as uh, Adam, you, you pointed out so eloquent to me as well, that Luke has got a book. So we're going to chat with him about that as well. But yeah, right off the top, Luke Fox from Sportsnet. Thanks a lot for joining us, my friend. Really, really appreciate you giving us your time here on the Pucks and D podcast. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. All right. So Luke can be found on Twitter at Luke Fox Jukebox. And um, as I was getting my prep ready uh, over the last week or so, Luke, I couldn't stray away from grilling you immediately on that Twitter handle. You can't have a Twitter handle like Luke Fox Jukebox and not expect (laughs) to get any musical related questions. So how did that uh, start about? So before I had a job at Sportsnet, I had... uh uh, another career as a music journalist, and I also worked for a, a snowboard magazine uh, called Snowboard Canada. In our in our office at that publication, we all shared music, um, so we were all connected to the same server. So if I went on, I could go and see what what your whole library of of iTunes, and I could start listening to that because um, we had a lot of music fans that worked there. Um, so instead of just naming my the handle that would pop up when you logged on to to search for people's music i i labeled mine luke fox jukebox um because it seemed very appropriate and then when twitter was invented um you know to my dismay i found out i wasn't the only luke fox in the world (laughs) so instead of being luke fox you know underscore one two three four you know some variation um i just went with that yeah, that's not, not a bad call. And actually, I remember that that era when you could jump on someone else's shared library who was on your network and you could stream their list of music and yeah, save you all yeah. the hassle of going on LimeWire or whatever, torrenting and, and downloading it, risking all kinds of crap out there. Napster. Napster, yeah. Yeah, I guess you, you'd be from that era. I love how he understands oh, I'm, I'm these from references. That era, yeah. 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 No, so in doing my research, Luke, I did notice, though, that the music thing goes pretty deep. So you were. You were editor, I guess, for a while of a hip-hop magazine and also published a book on hip-hop as well uh, called Ice-T Shot Me in the Face. 
Ice T shot me in the face and eleven other stories about rap music. Yeah, it's a collection of of some of my favorite interviews. Uh, yeah, I've been a massive music fan and a hip hop head in particular, um, going way back. And then when when I finally decided that I wanted to be a writer, it was either going to be sports or, or music, um, and I was kind of pursuing both simultaneously. Uh, but the, the music side really picked up steam fast. And so I kind of left sports writing on the back burner. Um, and I, I had an awesome time with a bunch of friends starting a, a rap magazine called pound that, um, for a time when people actually went to the newsstand and bought magazines, it was, it did fairly well in, in terms of Canadian hip hop magazines. The American ones are obviously much bigger, but, um, got some amazing opportunities, like got to, to fly to New York and Detroit and LA and, and sit down with some of my favorite rap artists and, um, would get some cover stories for, for that magazine. And then as it was kind of dying, I was, uh, up a publisher approached me and said, do you want to do a book of kind of like your best of? And so I added a few others and uh, came up with a dozen of my favorites and uh, did like a, a small, small run of, uh, of the book. And uh, yeah, I, I was pretty proud of it. And then it's kind of happening at a time when I was kind of leaving that behind and, and the sports writing started to pick up. Um, so it's, it's been pretty cool cause I've gotten uh, a chance to kind of follow both my passions through, uh, through writing. Um, and, and now, you know, getting to cover Stanley cups and, um, go to all-star games and, you know, the draft and, and that type of thing is, is kind of been a bit of a dream come true as well. Yeah, that's absolutely wild. So you actually got to go and meet these guys in person. Like you said, you flew to New York, flew to LA and, you know, you met Nas, you, you, you met Kanye West as well. Yeah, uh, Kanye was actually when he he came he was rolling through Toronto on tour, um, and uh, spent an after afternoon with him, like a good couple hours with him as he was doing a photo shoot for uh, for our cover, and um, yeah, he was in full performance mode. Like interviewing him is like interviewing a guy who, he's putting on a show for you. Wow. Um, in, in terms of just how animated he was with his answers, I think part of it was because. When we conducted the interview, there was uh, some photographers there and lighting people and some handlers. Like there was, there was people mingling about. So he was kind of in in showman mode. And this was right around the the time of uh, his second album, uh, Late Registration, which uh, is probably my favorite one. And maybe it's because um, you know I listened to it so much in in prepping for that interview and went to a listening session with him um, wow. where he back when when they had such a thing where there was only you know a few of us in the studio um another one of my favorites was i'm i, I love gangstar and i got to go in the studio with dj premiere and, and he played oh. me tracks from from their album that that was just about to come out and then guru came in later and and just being able to interview them in the studio that was that was a trip like it, it was just wild um so the, I, I have like these these great memories and experiences where I, I've gotten to meet these guys that, you know, I, I just absolutely love their music. Um, and it wasn't always in person. I mean, there was a lot of phoners and there was some that didn't go great, but um, I, I literally probably did like 250 interviews with, with rappers during, during this, you know, maybe eight year span that I was like fully involved in it. Wow. That's really impressive. I wanted to ask you as a journalist, do you ever get, 
a little anxious before your interview with someone based on the fact that you're not sure what this person is really like when you're going to talk to them one-on-one. And, you know, do you ever kind of wonder what impact uh, this interview that I'm about to host with this person might have on on me, the fan, uh, as I listen to their music now after having met them one-on-one? Like, does it ever, does it ever really increase your respect for the person? I know that that probably happens more than the latter or, you know, which would be uh, losing respect for somebody because of a bad interview. Yeah, it, it can go both ways. That That's for sure. Um, and absolutely, I get nervous. And it, it's still now, I think if, if something's a big story or, or big interview, I still get it. And I, I think if you get nervous, that probably means you just care and you want to do a good job and, and not screw it up, basically. Um, but you're right. I, I, I think there's been a lot of times where it's increased my appreciation for them. And sometimes where it hasn't gone so good. And I yeah, it's kind of left a bit of a sour taste and, and maybe, you know, when I do listen to their music, it does bring back the memory of the personal experience I may have had with them. And the other thing is that sometimes maybe it doesn't mean they're a jerk or whatever. It's just, you may have caught them on a bad day. And a lot of these times, um, it was during like a, a press junket or they're doing a media day where they're ripping through, you know, half a dozen or a dozen interviews within a one or two day span. And sometimes you catch them at the end and they're kind of tired of, of talking about it or maybe they're hungry. Like you, you catch people in all kinds of different moods. Um, and I think that's kind of what I've learned more about uh, through the hockey writing is especially covering the Leafs or, or the NHL is I've, you know, interviewed some of the same people over and over and over again. And if you talk to a guy five times or 10 times, you realize, oh, maybe just that one time he just wasn't in the right frame of mind or someone said something that kind of ticked him off. But for the most part, he's a good guy. You can't you can't judge uh, a person based on one interaction. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would imagine, like you said, in those situations where it's so compressed and, and you realize this guy's only here for a few hours and doing all kinds of interviews that you might not only get them at your best or, or say you're from a you're not the, from the Rolling Stones, so they're not as focused on you as, as perhaps they might be on someone from a, a bigger publication. Now, I do got to ask, is, is there somewhere we can buy your book? Because you pretty much sold me on it already. I'm a big hip-hop guy. <laughs> and if you have uh, considered writing any other books or have anything else in the works? Um, yeah, I, I got a project that I don't want to talk about that's kind of in the works right now. Um, but the it there's no firm publication so i don't want to jinx it um fair enough i i I, ideas pop in and out i I would say with this job it keeps me pretty busy in terms of every week there's um you know stories i have to to crank out and there's you know radio appearances podcasts i'm staying pretty busy so i'm trying to find a a good balance between um working and and trying to do the stuff i enjoy plus i'm a dad there's there's a lot going on um, but as far as finding my book, it was actually an independent publisher and, uh, it, it kind of sold like hotcakes. Not that there were a lot of, um, copies published, but the ones that were, it was a bit of a limited run. Um, they, they sold out. I've, I've kept a small stash. So, you know, you, you can send me a note later and we'll work something out. But, uh, yeah, it, it would be cool if, if I got a, a bigger publisher to, to do another run of it though. That would be fun. 
Well, at least you got a bit of a selling point there because, you know, considering you, you, it sounds like you did pretty well with it. So uh, it doesn't seem uh, like – I mean, it's not like those rappers have died off in popu- popularity. Though, If anything, they've increased since you published that. So right. I would think that it would gain some interest, to, um, you know, from, from uh, publishers or, and, and audiences alike. Um, aside from an interest in hip-hop and hockey, I did notice I, you and I do share something else in common. Uh, we both graduated from Nipissing University oh. in North Bay. Um, oh, wow. So I did want to ask you about how your experience was up in North Bay and uh, how much time did you spend at the wall? <laughs> Probably too much. Uh, <laughs> Me and you both, uh, brother. Yeah, Me and you both. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if the wall is still there. I haven't been back in, in a little while, but uh, I, you know what? I don't meet that many people who, who say, oh, yeah, Nipissing, I went there. Um, pretty, pretty small university, and it was, it was kind of cool for me because I started off going to university, and in, in, in my mind, I was like, all right, um, this is what you're supposed to do after high school. Uh, I was a half de- decent student, so might as well go. And and then I started taking English because I liked the written word. And I was kind of on this path, like, okay, maybe I'll be an English teacher. But really, my heart wasn't in it, and and I hadn't really wrapped my my head around what I really wanted to to, to do. A teacher just felt safe, and um, I have a lot of teachers in in my family. Both my parents are teachers. You get summers off. Uh, it's secure, you know. So. Um, but I came to the point where I needed to either apply for teachers college or, or do something else. And the awesome thing about Nipissing is Canada colleges is, is right there. You walk through the main doors, you turn right, you're in the college, you turn left, you're in the university. So my last year of university, I actually started taking college courses on top and I got exempt from a lot of the, the entry level courses because I had my, was on, on route to getting my English degree. So, uh, I got to to kind of fast track through journalism and that was like the best learning I did was in college, not in university in terms of what was practical, uh, for me and what excited me. And I learned how I, I I have had like a, a loose interest in photography, learned how to shoot photos and develop my own photos. And that was fun. Um, and my college professor made more of an impact than any of my university professors in terms of inspiring me and giving me good advice that I could actually use in the field. Um, so I kind of made went from university to college and, and then eventually uh, got, a, got a job in, in magazines. That's awesome. And I believe, uh, let's go, the wall is not there anymore, right? Eh? No, it's no, not. Okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was shut down shortly after I left. So I graduated in 2010. And okay. I think a year or two, two after it shut down un- under some unfortunate circumstances <laughs> as well, if I recall. But I, I, I did have quite the time there, enjoyed it very much over the years. And uh, yeah, like you said, having Candor next door like that was great. And I know a lot of people who actually bounced between both schools, either in the order that you did, like you said, get your undergrad head over there to kind of refine some skills in an area of interest. And I had guys who just realized the university wasn't for them and then, you know, switched over to Canada or to, to find something more suitable. So uh, pretty cool. Glad to hear you had a good experience up there too. And um, I, I make it up there as much as I can. I got some friends and family still still in that area. And it's uh, I'm a small town guy, so I, 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 I've always enjoyed North Bay and, and what it kind of has to offer. Yeah, yeah, I had a great time and, and made some some friends when I was up there, and 
my wife's from New List, New Liskard, which is even farther north. Much farther. Uh, yeah, much farther. So, but you have to go through North Bay. So uh, this summer we we headed up there, and it brought back a, a flood of those uh, college memories. But I'm I'm also a small town guy. I was uh, uh, born and raised in Collingwood, Ontario, near near Blue Mountains. Okay. So uh, I only came to Toronto when I when I got a job here. Oh, right on. Now, I know you mentioned that you don't run into very many people that said, oh, yeah, I graduated from there. But um, you might not remember it today, Luke, but I can guarantee you at least a few of the people that you either, you know, ha- had study sessions with or drank a few pops with were, were from Pembroke, Ontario, which is where this podcast is recorded. Um, for for decades, it felt like from, I don't know, the late 90s to the mid thousands or so, it seemed that like I, I we used to call North Bay the second Pembroke. Because there were so many people from our town that went to either Canada or Nipissing University. And it was just so many weekends were spent trying to hitch a ride with someone that was coming back to Pembroke. So I guarantee you ran across a few people that were from this small uh, section of Canada here. Yeah, I, I, uh, a couple of my roommates were from around the, the greater Ottawa area. So, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of people traveling there. Cool. All right. Well, listen, let's take it over to the Leafs, my friend. Um, again, Luke Fox joining us here from Sportsnet. Um, thanks again, Luke, for joining us. And we want to talk about your access to the players. So obviously we got the global pandemic. We got COVID-19 going on. It's going to start becoming COVID-21 soon uh, when the calendar flips. So we're not getting out of it anytime soon. We, we wanted to see uh, how you were feeling the crunch or, or maybe it's a little bit of a freedom thing. Maybe you like it. I don't know. What are you thinking about how the access has changed in terms of the way that you're able to you know, access coaches, players, managers, and, and the like through Zoom calls instead of you know being there in the scrum with your iPhone or your little recorder there right next to Dubis's <laughs> face like how has it changed yeah it's changed drastically I mean I, I would imagine for a lot of people's workplaces it's changed uh, not not for the better in terms of you know delivering uh, good journalism I mean it, there's just that distance right that you have on zoom calls and when they were in the bubble, they, they would also have a moderator and they would often limit you to one question or maybe, if you're lucky, one plus a follow-up and then it was on to the next next person. You know, the, the best stuff I found is, you know, usually not on a game day. It's usually at the practice facility. There, no one's in a huge rush. Uh, they open up the room. Everyone's kind of sitting there. You can go start a conversation with whoever you want and maybe you get 10 questions in, maybe it's just more of a casual chat, but you learn something and um, you you can kind of dive deeper into, into topics or into personalities that way. Uh, And it's just, you know, one of those necessary evils that everything's a little bit more structured. You don't get um, pick up on little details like body language or how the players interact with each other. Um, who sits beside who? Uh, are they are they laughing? Are they dead serious? Do they throw off their gear and go right to the showers? Like you kind of get a feel for the the dynamics within a team when you're just hanging around them, watching them in practice, all that stuff. And so all that the kind of nuance, I guess, has been lost a little bit through this. Um, although I completely understand why it is the way it is, but I, I'm excited. Um, for things to get back to normal because that's kind of that's kind of been the exciting part of the job it also like gives you energy um 
as a, as an interviewer and as a reporter. Like if you just roll out of bed in your, your pajamas and like, okay, I got to log on to this screen, ask a couple questions, record it. That's one thing. But if you drive there on your drive to the practice facility or the game, you're thinking about questions or angles. You get in there, you start talking to other reporters. Maybe they say something that, you know, sparks an idea within you. Um, you're physically there. You you get dressed up. You're you're kind of like in a, in a game time type mode as as opposed to just um, logging on. No one sees you. You ask a, the odd question and then you you try and spin something. The other thing is everyone's getting the same quotes and the, and and get the same zoom zoom calls. There there's very little way to kind of differentiate uh, the stuff you get from the other reporters. Yeah, so is that kind of how you attacked that? Uh, I guess that would have been a, a similar situation with Dubas and Ron McLean, I think, if my memory yeah. serves correctly. Yeah, so so that for that story, basically, a very cool thing the Leafs do. Uh, they they put it out to any coach of any level. We're going to have a coach's open house. And they did this before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, it was all done with, with through Zoom. And Dubas... Uh, you know, made an appearance. Sheldon Keefe made an appearance, and for Dubas's, um, they had Ron McLean host, and everyone else was silent. Only Ron could ask questions. But I thought this was this was really cool. I mean, I I went on just for my own interest, um, and because you know I was getting into maybe assistant coaching with my son, and I, I just I was just interested in the in the seminar in general. But uh, when Dubas was talking, I was like, you know, there may be. I think maybe there were two or 3,000 people that signed up and were on this, but I was like, he's saying some interesting stuff about the Leafs. I, I think uh, the, grit, the the fan who didn't drop into this uh, would like to know some of the highlights. So that's why I thought it was worth the write-up. It was definitely worth tuning into, and, and I missed it myself, but I, I recalled seeing it and thinking, damn, there's going to be some interesting tidbits coming out of that because it's almost like in those more relaxed environments – you're going to learn more about their philosophy and them as people. And I find, you know, throughout Sheldon Keefe's short tenure as coach, that he is not afraid to give you a, some insight into his thinking and, and his philosophy as to how he approaches the game. Um, one such example recently uh, that Josh and I tuned into, uh, Sheldon Keefe's got a p connection here to Pembroke as he used to coach and own the, the junior team. Right. So uh, one of the... Uh, uh, guys who, who was very involved with the team brought him in for about an hour-long Zoom call early in the pandemic where he just had a one-on-one, -on -one, interviewed him about questions about his current career, about time at the Marlies, going back to Pembroke. And, and Sheldon doesn't seem to give... He's not one of those coaches that's going to give you the runaround. He, he really tries to... I feel like he tries to give you an honest genuine answer without telling you too much but here he's in this coaching context where he's he's trying to share wisdom and knowledge and and, and help other people learn yeah uh, and with sheldon like you know when you're covering a team basically every game all season some a lot of them are, are nothing games or they kind of run together you kind of forget what story you wrote but um one one that sticks out very clearly from last season was Sheldon's first trip to the Canadian Tire Center uh, as head coach of the Leafs. And he, I remember he booked a whole suite 
for all the people from Pembroke uh, who meant something to him, who, you know, helped him start this journey in coaching. And, you know, he, he, he plays it pretty, pretty straight with, with the media most of the time, like has a good poker face and he's pretty measured in his comments. He's, he doesn't usually get too high or low, but I could tell that that was an emotional night for him to, to come back to kind of where he, he kind of cut his teeth as a, as a coach and, now he was coming back as a, as a head coach and he had spent a lot of time in that building um, and to be in there and behind the bench and they won. And um, so, yeah, it, you know, I, I think that that area means a lot to him. Yeah. It's got a special place in my heart too, uh, Luca. I, I do the uh, play by play for the internet broadcast for the lumber Kings. Uh, I've been doing that since, geez, um, maybe 2012, 2011 or so. Um, And of course, actually, it might even be before then. Uh, But anyway, they they won the RBC National Championship, the Lumber Kings did, with Sheldon uh, in in 2011. And I was doing uh, the play-by-play, you know, throughout the the playoffs for their local region or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And when when they got to go off to the RBC, I... I, I legit I legitimately sent emails off to people and was like, I will come and do this game. Like I I will come. I'll I'll fly out myself. I'll put myself up in a hotel. I'll, I'll call this game. Like let me call this game <laughs> uh, for the championship team. And I, I got a chance to uh, be invited to the suite that you had mentioned when Sheldon was returning to Pembroke. Oh. I was a little oh, bit. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it would have been awesome had I not been a little bit late getting there because uh, I didn't get a chance to get in. But I did see him quickly uh, in passing, and it's one of those. It's one of those like selfish moments where uh, I just really enjoy the ability to be like, I personally know him. Like, I don't think he would call me his friend or anything, but I have his phone number in my phone, uh, you know, from when he worked, well, obviously like he kind of took over the Lumber Kings, right? And like me and uh, another friend of mine in high school, we were kind of like getting our community hours and stuff like working with him and his wife, Jackie, like behind the scenes, you know, doing like uh, canteen stuff and, and whatnot. And it's just so cool to know that, you know, dialing the clock way back to when I was younger, like this is the guy that ultimately brought the Lumber Kings to the top of the mountain. And now he's coaching the Leafs and like, they're my favorite team. They always have been like, I bleed blue. You know, it's just, it's such a weird, awesome connection for, uh, for me personally. I love to brag about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. That's great. So I, we did want to ask quickly, um, Mm. obviously being a Collingwood guy, Ontario guy, um, and obviously an interest in sports as well. Like any allegiances to any teams? I know it's probably something that, that you had to shut down ever since you entered into the into the realm of journalism for Sportsnet and all that. But you know, even if it's other sports, is there anything uh, teams that you follow that you're really into or you grow up watching? Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was Gretzky obsessed uh, as a kid. That was uh, that was my era. So um, I was absolutely an Oilers fan, and then. Uh, my allegiance is actually switched to the Kings once he got traded. I, it turns out I was more of a Gretzky fan than an Oilers fan. Um, so that that was kind of who I rooted for growing up. And my dad was a, a Leafs fan. And I think I just, you know, I want. I think I just wanted to be different um, and and not cheer for the same same team as my dad and uh, have my own heroes. So um, yeah, I was I was a massive Gretzky fan. And in terms of NFL, like. 
Um, I root for the Broncos, kind of setting them aside right now. I mean, they're they're not a not in contention, but John Elway and and his uh, you know incredible fourth quarter comebacks kind of got me on uh, on the Broncos. Uh, and then I I was a Celtics fan um, before the Raptors were born, and then I I was a Raptors fan and still am. Um, and it's always been Blue Jays and for baseball for me. Uh, you know that that was basically the only sport I I went to. Um, I went to one NHL game when I was a kid. Somehow my dad secured tickets um, through a friend, and we set up in the nose bleeders. Uh, but you know, basically Blue Jays things, Blue Jay games were the only thing I, I got to go to as a kid. So I, I was a massive Jays fan during that era as well. Uh, but once you become uh, you know, a hockey writer, all that kind of goes out the window. Like I, I, I literally, I, some people don't believe, it, but I literally don't cheer for any team, but you do cheer for good stories and you do want to see people that, um, you get the sense that they're good people. You, you want to root for them. Like a guy like Rick bonus, for example, in the cup final, you, you wanted, if the Dallas stars were going to win, you wanted to see him do it. But then on the flip side, I, I was kind of rooting for Steven Stamkos just mm-hmm. because of, you know, how close he had been and how he got denied the chance to to represent Team Canada when he got hurt. And now he gets hurt and can barely play in the playoffs. So you cut, you kind of just like those those feel good stories. For So you root for a good story and and often game to game, you know, if, if it's like the Leafs hurricanes on a Tuesday night, you're just hoping for a good story. Like someone get a hat trick, someone, uh, you know, do something incredible so I can write about, I don't care which, which sweater he's wearing. You just want a good story. Well, if it's Leafs hurricanes and it's, if it's on a Tuesday (laughs) afternoon, I think you're set, you You know, you're going to have a story. Yeah. Well that, that was, uh, like that was unbelievable. Like, uh, so I was at that game and got to write the, the David Ayers story and that was just like you know it's just right there on a platter for you oh, it's just like roller coaster fun. of all time yeah. it's too bad you yeah. didn't write for the hurricanes you'd still be writing that story because they're they're milking that for, for all <laughs> oh, it's worth yeah I see them on social media you're right they've they've milked that David Ayers thing for sure it'll never end I did want to get into a little bit of talk uh, about the roster and what things are looking like for the upcoming season and and, and touch on a couple of prospects here Um, just starting with Nick Robertson I think uh, some people were a little bit surprised to hear that he was held back from the world juniors Um, but what it kind of led me to believe that there's a real role potentially for him on the Leafs this season so I guess what the question is do you think it was the best decision to keep him and do you think he'll be given like a legit chance to not only play some minutes, but potentially fill that uh, top six left wing spot? I think he's going to be given a chance, but I don't think it's it's being handed to him. Like I wouldn't read into the fact that he's not going to represent Team USA at the World Juniors as in this guy's automatically going to be in the opening night lineup. I think he, there's still an uphill climb. What I read into it is this is all he cares about. And and more so than uh, than representing his country, which which I'm sure he'd like to do. But the fact that it's it's probably going to conflict with the time training camp's going to open. Uh, he doesn't want to be a step behind and show up to training camp late because he was in the in the semifinals uh, in in the Edmonton bubble for World Juniors. He wants to. He's putting all his eggs in in the basket of of trying to make the Maple Leafs team, but they didn't do him any favors. Because look at all the the inexpensive 
NHL caliber wingers they brought in. Like uh, they brought in Simmons and Jimmy VC and they outbid teams for Alexander Barabanov um, and must have told him something to convince him to come over here. Like he's not coming over here because he wants to be a Marley. He's going to be trying to get those minutes. Um, and then, you know, Joe Thornton, they brought Spezza back. Like the, there's going to be a lot of competition. Uh, so I think it, and I think that's by design. I think Dubas wants a more competitive camp and wants guys to not feel comfortable. I think they want to feel like if I, if I'm not very good for two games in a row, I'm going to be a healthy scratch. And and Nick Robertson's coming in my spot in my place, or Jimmy Vc's coming in my place. Like I, I think there's going to be uh, more internal competition. I think that's a good thing because I, I I think I think guys were getting a little comfortable, and and that part of that's probably due to the division. The fact that there were a couple of years there where Boston was so far ahead or Tampa was so far ahead that's like, what are we playing for? But this is going to be a different ball game. For one, the season's going to be short. Uh, two, there there's going to be more urgency within the group, and I think the the pressure and the stakes have gone up simply because they're they're now zero and four. This group in the postseason, it's like, all right, we got it. We got to win a series. We got to show some progression. Um, and you talked about the influx of NHL caliber players playing for pennies on the dollar to either you know find something or stay relevant uh, in the NHL. You know, if you're the older guys, you're trying to stay relevant. If you're Jimmy VC, you're trying to perhaps uh, rekindle something, a bit of a reclamation project, if you will. Um, how much stock would you put into the expanded roster? Uh, myth or rumor like uh, we haven't heard anything in terms of uh, I mean maybe we have since we started recording the podcast things are so fluid they're changing every minute but I don't believe we have any confirmation yet as to expanded rosters or taxi squads um, do you think any of these extra cal- NHL NHL caliber players were signed with that in mind I I would think so um, not knowing for sure it's going to happen because you're there is no confirmation, but they are tossing the idea around of an expanded roster plus, you know, four or five guys on a taxi squad. And when you look at the Leafs up front, especially, I mean, they could probably ice five NHL type lines. Um, so, and it, it was a really smart move. And, and not only to get these guys, um, but to get them on very team friendly deals. Like Jimmy VC might, turn out to be a, a massive bargain he's less than a million bucks and you know there's a track record of having some success they're they're, they're not all going to pan out but you know if you get a few of them chances are a couple of them are going to pan out i mean look at tyler ennis tyler ennis was you know on the verge of of not being an nhl player anymore but he came into the leafs camp uh he saw you know the best doctors that there are in hockey and that the team invested in his development. He got some shifts uh, along some alongside some pretty talented players, and now he, he's got a career and he's up and running. And it's not with the Leafs. The, not all these guys are going to be Leafs again in in twenty one twenty two. But if they can get some good minutes out of them now, it works for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And Tyler Ennis is a great example of a, a value contract uh, that you know he's been re-signed every subsequent year since they signed him. I believe he, yeah. he went out west this year. Um, and then continue to produce at, at a pretty decent level considering the salary he's being paid. And I think that's that's what the Leafs are looking at here. You know, they're not focused on, on – all the big contracts are done. It's time to look at what what can we get 
for this much money in the bottom six. And, and I kind of want to tie it back to what your point earlier, which kind of uh, swept one of the questions out from underneath us that we were going to ask. And we were going to talk about the expanded rosters and, and, and your point about Dubas creating this culture of internal competition. And you, you pointed out that you believe that people felt comfortable. And I saw that as a fan as well. And, and I think you were right about what you said about them not necessarily getting much out of the standings, knowing well, this is where we're finishing, this is where we're going to be, and, and maybe creating a bit of complacency. So I, I, do, you, do you see a lot of that internal competition shaking out on the back end of things too for the Maple Leafs? Because I know they brought in Bogosian, and uh, of course they brought in Lettinen, and now we have a bit of a crowded left side. And I, I guess my question is, or should we be concerned at all from a development standpoint that, say, Sandy and, and Lilligren are not going to play nearly as much as we'd like, especially given that we don't have any confirmation on the AHL season right now? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough, right? And even even if there is an AHL season, we're looking at February, right? So it, it's, it's tough. Things got tougher for Rasmus Sandin, absolutely for Timothy Lilligren. I mean, I, I don't see how he makes it onto this team unless there's multiple injuries and even a guy like Travis Dermott who was you know wasn't that long ago where it seemed like they were grooming him in my mind to to take over for Jake Gardner and maybe maybe this guy would be a, a top four defenseman and maybe he would run the second power play all of a sudden he's going to be lucky enough to get into the opening night lineup um and this is not a bad thing I mean I I think about what happened in the Columbus series Jake Muzzin goes down. All of a sudden, Martin Marincin's playing really big, important minutes for you, and, and you're trying to win a win a series against a really hard, disciplined team. You're, you're trying to go on a run, and you got Martin Marincin as one of your, your top defensemen all of a sudden. I, I think that was a bit of a wake-up call to the management group saying, we need too many defensemen. We need to, to just assume that... that we're going to have an injury or two through the season. We're going to have an injury uh, during the playoffs. I heard an interesting stat someone said where you basically got to count that you're going to have one significant injury per round in the playoffs. And the Leafs are not in this to win one round, to, to get past Boston or get past Columbus. They're in this to win a cup. Um, so you got to assume a couple guys are going to go down. And I absolutely think the blue line is going to be a bit of a work in progress. What's going to make it a work in progress is the fact that they're talking about having zero exhibition games too. So there's not going to be a lot of time to figure out who works well with who. Uh, and I think anything beyond Muzzin, Riley, Brody, if you're not one of those three guys, you're fighting and jostling for your position, um, whether that's trying to get minutes or, or trying to just stay in the lineup. And I think it's going to be fascinating. And that's a good thing, and, and and I think it's going to keep a guy like you on your toes because you're going to have to oh, be yeah. constantly monitoring <laughs> who's in, who's out, who's practicing, who's taking line rushes, who's eating popcorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that too, Luke, um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the point that uh, was made during the Dubis Q and A about the Leafs exploring the eleven forward and seven D lineup. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting yep. one because you think, okay, well. The Leafs have a plethora of talent up front. Why don't we? Why don't we take one away <laughs> and add it to the D where they where they've you know historically struggled? So it it almost seems like a, a surprise move. But when you factor in 
a guy like Sheldon Keefe who's constantly trying to adapt and adjust and you know grow as a coach in his strategies instead of staying stagnant. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, too, it's mentioned in the article that he had called the uh, Tampa Bay coach John Cooper to talk to him about that strategy that they employed uh, in their run in 2015. And that time, Keith, Keith was coaching the Marlies. So, I mean, he wasn't even a head coach of an NHL team yet, but he was already trying to figure out like, okay, what are other people doing and why is it working? So how do you think that that would work for the Leafs? And do you think that there's actually a good chance that it might happen? Well, Keith is, uh, as far as coaches go, he's a he's a keen student, right? He's, he's trying... Yeah, like I've talked to him about this. He's gone to several seminars. He shadowed Pete Carroll uh, with the Seattle Seahawks, not the, uh, summer 2020, but 2019 uh, before the pandemic. Uh, ironically, that was just a couple months before he ended up taking over the Leafs. Um, and he wanted to see how Carroll ran such a, a large operation. So he's constantly looking for new ideas. Um, and I think the Leafs as an organization, I think they, they look at, the Tampa Bay Lightning as uh, almost the model that they want to follow. Uh, excellent draft and develop team, uh, fast, tons of star power up front, uh, good goalie that, that can cover up mistakes, uh, and then later kind of added the right role players and a little bit more sandpaper and stuff. So I think of any team, they kind of look to the Tampa Bay Lightning as that's the kind of group they want to follow. And John Cooper used 7D quite a bit um, en route to the Cup this past year, and, and it didn't go unnoticed by Dubas and Keefe. That said, we, we it wasn't it was just a few minutes ago, we were talking about all the forwards they have. So I think it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a tricky dance because – if you tell all those forwards that you're only going to dress 11 of them, um, there's another guy eating popcorn that that probably feels like he deserves to be uh, on the ice. So it's going to be, um, I think it'll be tough managing the egos, managing the ice time, kind of keeping people motivated, not discouraged if they're out of the lineup. But I wouldn't be a, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Keith experiment, especially in the early going to see like is this something that can work for us? And I think they feel seven D can work more uh, this upcoming season than ever in the past because they have guys that would be used in specific situations. And I'll use the example of Miko Lettinen, who's coming over, offensive defenseman. Um, you know, was point a game in the KHL this season before he came back over to to quarantine and get ready for camp. I think they see him using him like, okay, we'll use him in offensive situations. We'll use him as our our second unit power play quarterback. And a guy like Zach Bogosian, we want him in the lineup too because we we need to be better at penalty killing, and that's one of his specialties. It's a D zone draw. There's 20 seconds left in the game. We're up by one. We just want someone mean and nasty who's going to make the right choice, clear guys out in front of the net, not allow a rebound. We want him on the ice. So they, I think the idea is um, having these guys who are more specialists, and in order to, to fit them all in, you have to dress seven of them. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be really fascinating. I'm sure it's going to be uh, you know, great fodder for, for Leafs Nation to, to bicker over um, when the uh, forward gets healthy scratched because they're experimenting with 7D. Well, I think it really ties into the fact that the Leafs also, it's very clear that now they want to become a more difficult team to play against. 
So this has been something that's been written by yourself and every other uh, pundit and, and journalist that follows the team or, or maybe doesn't even follow the team. It's, it's just such a huge talking point about the team right now not being difficult to play against. So maybe shed a little bit of light on, on that. And obviously they've, they've signed the aforementioned Bogosian, tough guys like Wayne Simmons as well. Um, you know, perhaps some nights these guys will eat some popcorn because it's not a, a night where we're anticipating a heavy gritty style of play. And maybe that works well in the favor of being able to maneuver uh, or navigate the waters of, of dressing uh, an appropriate amount of forwards and D men. Right. And I think that that whole idea of, you know, this is going to be a, a slug fest or, or this team's going to clog it up. You know, I, I think the Leafs, frankly, are going to have fewer of those nights because this Canadian division is going to be a real thing. And I think that plays into their favor. I mean, Winnipeg has a bit of toughness, a bit of sandpaper to them, but most of the Canadian teams, you know, they're, they're high on, on skill and speed. And, and I think that's the kind of, brand of hockey the Leafs want to play um so as as far as toughness I look at you know bringing in Wayne Simmons yeah but you also let Kyle Clifford go so are you really gaining that much maybe a little bit um I think Simmons might be a a stronger voice and a um more maybe more of a leader uh but um on the back end Bogosian absolutely I think adds it but I think most of it has to come from within and Mm. you know to hear Dubas talk about it or Keith talk about it. It's not. It's not about fighting or or taking roughing penalties. It's more about there's a fifty fifty puck. It's a close game. Are you willing to throw your body into the corner and make sure you come after it, um, or are you waiting for the the easy easy play and hoping it just lands on your stick? And I think that has to come more from the young group growing within and and just having a little bit more urgency and and desire like enough i'm fed up i'm fed up with going out in the first round um we're gonna we're gonna will this thing and you see it i mean i've had the pleasure of cover covering other teams in in playoff series and the year the st louis blues won you'd be hard pressed to argue that they're they're more talented on paper than this leafs team but you know they would go through a wall for for craig berube and for each other Uh, like the there's something you sense. Uh, you know, I covered the the Capitals in their their win in eighteen, and there was something different about that Capitals team that that hadn't I hadn't seen when I covered them in, in seventeen, and they went out early. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the, the interesting question for me is: Is that something these guys learn through disappointment, or are these not the right guys? And and we're going to find out. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point too. I, I I wholeheartedly believe that Keith and Dubis, you know, Dubis has talked about this before, previous to admitting that they need to get tougher. That he thought it was going to come with it in, come from within, but it hadn't. And I think he believes by these additions that collectively there's going to be a bit more buy-in, and hopefully we see it because it's been it's definitely been a complaint of mine over the last several seasons where there's a lot of exactly what you said, going in the corners, not winning those battles, waving their sticks around when they should be maybe getting in someone's face a little bit. So it'll be a definitely uh, interesting to see if there if there is some residual grit that comes with signing guys like Simmons, like Bogosian, who can... And even Joe Thornton, I would point to, because let's be honest, he's no slouch out there. Like, he's not no. all mittens. He he likes to, to, to lean into guys. 
Yeah, and I, I like I thought it was so telling the fact that Jason Spezza, who could you could crown count his career fights on one or two hands, felt the need to drop the gloves in in the last playoff series versus Columbus because he looked around and felt like no one else has that in them. I got to do it. I got to do something to wake these guys up. Uh, and I think they will be on their toes a little bit more because Simmons is, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for John Tavares and I think he's an incredible leader with this great work ethic, but he's a, he's a quieter guy. He's a lead by example type guy and that's fine. But I don't think Joe, like Joe Thornton's going to have a loud voice in that room. Wayne Simmons is going to come in and, and he'll say, he'll call guys out if they're not trying their hardest or if, or if they're, you know, not giving full effort when the game's on the line. He he won't be afraid. Um, so I think they probably need a little bit of that, a little bit of um, people keeping them on their toes or, or getting mad at each other and holding each other accountable. It can't always come from the coach. I would agree with you on that, absolutely. And and let's just hope that you find your way back into the dressing room soon yeah. because yeah. we need yeah. as much content as those personalities <laughs> are going to give because it's been a little while. I mean, we've come a long way from the days of Lou Lamorello to having a, a personality like Joe Thornton in the Maple Leafs dressing room. I did want to touch on your piece that you put out today. Uh, you talked about how the expansion draft may expand uh, affect the Leafs. Um, I think the Leafs got really lucky back in 2017 where they only had to give up Leipzig and a lot of guys were, were protected on entry-level deals and such. Um, just give us a bit of a lowdown on that and, and, and kind of what you foresee uh, happening to the Maple Leafs. And I, th- I think we can all agree, and, and Josh and I talked about it earlier, but it seems as if that some guys are almost being set up a little bit to be f- f- you know ripe for the picking. To be dangled. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's just no way around it, right? Like, you have to accept the fact that you're going to lose a player. And I think that's where some of the teams made their mistake with, with George McPhee last time around. They're like, well, we can steer him away from this guy if we also give him this prospect. And all of a sudden, you're losing two guys that, that are worthy. You have to kind of bite the bullet and accept you're, you're going to lose a player that you'd rather have on your roster. And that's and in return, you get a, a large chunk of the Seattle crack and expansion fee. I mean, that's the price of doing business, but the Leafs are, are kind of in an interesting position where I think the guy that, that Seattle picks could change kind of based on merit, how these guys perform. And I think who the Leafs protect could change a little bit based on, on how the team performs this season, which, is, which is really fascinating. Like, Say Pierre Engvall, what if he has an incredible season? Maybe all of a sudden the, the Krakens start targeting him. But if the draft were to take place today, um, I would say it probably comes down to whether Seattle wants Travis Dermott or Justin Hall. Um, and, you know, there's ways to protect an extra defenseman, but then you expose another forward. So maybe a guy like Alexander Kerfoot gets exposed. So there's a few guys there that kind of, this will be a really interesting kind of defining season for them. Can, can they avoid getting exposed? Like what does the, what does the organization think of them? Do they think highly enough of, of them to protect them and make sure that they remain Maple Leafs or are they willing to risk losing them? And there's so, you know, it's a, it's a big kind of spool to unravel, but another factor is, um, you know, a, a UFA like Zach Hyman, Right now, he's scheduled to be a free agent, so he won't be protected. But do they, if they re-sign him, which I think they would like to do, 
then you got to protect him. So that eats up another spot. So the, it's kind of uh, uh, an interesting kind of puzzle that the the pieces are going to be interchanging as the season goes along. But I just thought it worthwhile to kind of lay out the the scene for fans heading into the season t- to know kind of the implications. And uh, uh, one other thing that was kind of interesting is in the um, Jake Muzzin and TJ Brody contracts that they signed this year, which are almost identical in their, in their structure. They give them full no move throughout this upcoming season, but after the season's over, that vanishes. So it gives them the option. So say TJ Brody ends up being a dud. What if, what if he doesn't work out as a leaf? You know, I thought Tyson Berry might work out. He didn't. What if TJ Brody just doesn't have it anymore? And he, and he falls at a Leafs top four and he's a $5 million guy that they want to get rid of. They could choose not to protect him, which is interesting. So it's just something I think for, for fans to pay attention to, uh, you know, the expansion draft and, and who gets re-signed or how players are doing and how that might affect their status in terms of getting exposed. Yeah. I've been trying to have this conversation with anybody that will have it with me for, for uh, probably I feel like since Seattle was was confirmed, nobody uh, wants to think about losing guys. No, but I just <laughs> I just remember thinking like uh, the whole idea, like the notion of an expansion draft in sports, just really gets my wheels spinning. Like I think it's very interesting. It's very cool, for lack of a better term. And I just like to to you know project and try and simulate what I think could happen. But it's very difficult to do right up until about the last hour because yeah. as you mentioned Luke it's it's constantly changing it's very fluid this guy plays well we want him this guy doesn't play well like you said potentially with a new addition to the team uh, so now we want to dangle him uh, and then the other side of the coin too is guys that actually really play well enough that not only do we want to extend this person but we want to protect them as well uh, you know and a guy like Jimmy VC is probably a good example to use yeah, there yeah. you know he's coming in on pennies on the dollar and all of a sudden he gets a modest raise for a short little two-year deal because we really like what you're bringing and he's bought into the system so he's on board well now we just worked on this extension we don't want to send him away to seattle so now all of a sudden we got to burn a spot on on him as well so i mean these things are really going to be changing but i think it's really important to keep an eye on them throughout the course of the year because obviously the expansion draft is coming up right around the corner here yeah, and another kind of interesting wrinkle from the Leafs' point of view is uh, on on Dubas's staff is Lawrence Gilman, one of his assistant GMs, and he actually created this this whole was part of the committee that created this whole system, the whole rules. Um, you know, he was trying to design something that would would be fair, but also <laughs> give a chance for Las Vegas and the same rules apply to Seattle uh, a fighting chance. Um, so he he's really examined this the expansion draft rules uh, in particular. So I, I found it interesting that after he did that, he went right to the Leafs. Um, so he, he knows the rules inside and out, and I'm sure that that'll provide a, a little bit of a, a bonus for them. But either way you slice it, I, I think they're going to lose a half-decent player this time around. Dubas just doing yeoman's work with getting guys yeah. on the inside, eh? Yeah, Him and yeah. uh, obviously Brandon Pridham had Brandon a Pridham, yeah, CBA the in the cap, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. I mean, this guy's doing a great job just keeping guys on the inside in his back pocket. Can't be too mad yeah. about that. No, he's he's. I that's actually one of the more interesting things I I think about Dubas is is some of his 
his out, outside the box hires. Um, you know, you look at Haley Wickenheiser, you know, that was kind of a, an interesting move and, you know, made, made headlines for a while too, like bringing her onto the development staff and, um, they have Barbara Underhill working on guys skating regularly. And I think he's just very open-minded in terms of just because it's not the normal hockey way, kind of like how, who can I bring in that would bring in a different perspective, um, and try to bring a bunch of smart people into the organization who may not all, you know, read from the same hymn book. They might have come at it from a different angle, but can contribute something to the whole, um, and it's like in a cap world, you look for every edge you can get as a big money team. And, and I think that's something that the Leafs have, have done well. And that's what some of the best leaders do, right? You, you surround yourself with people who are smarter than yourself, especially in specialized areas. So I yeah. think you're absolutely right in pointing out that Dubas has really uh, maybe exploited that as a what he saw as a inefficiency um, you know, instead of surrounding yourself with your buddies and yes men, as we might see in the older brand of hockey culture and, and sports in general, it's it's nice to see him kind of take things in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, listen, Luke, you've been very generous with your time, my friend. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate it here on the Pucks and Deep podcast. Uh, Lesko has drafted up a couple of rapid fire questions before we let you go. So I'll let him uh, shoot those off to you here and we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll keep track of your stats and see how well you do come the end of the year. <laughs> Okay. Okay. This is what this is trivia or prediction? No, this no, is no. Just uh, your, what do you your think? opinion, your your thoughts. So, how many okay. starts for Anderson? Uh, well, if this is uh, what are we talking? Fifty? If are we basing on? Yeah, 50, let's do we'll 56, 56, yeah. yeah, fifty-six. Uh, let's do thirty-eight. Okay. Do they resign Anderson, or is it a foregone conclusion that he's out? They can't afford him, and he goes elsewhere. Okay. Who leads the team in points? Mitchell Marner. How many points does Jumbo Joe put up? 28. Who fills out the top four on the back end to start the season? So assuming Riley, Muzzin, Brody are the three. Hall. Where did the Leafs finish in the All-Canadian Division? Number one. Who will be their biggest rival? Vancouver. Okay. Oh, nice. Right on. I like it. I love it. Yeah, he did pretty well. Six? On his toes, too. You, you can tell that he knows what he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, and this man follows the Leafs like no other. Once again, Luke, uh, we can't thank you enough for joining the show. You've been fantastic. Once again, if you don't follow him and you couldn't remember his handle for some reason, that's at Luke jo- Luke. <laughs> Luke Fox Jukebox. I can't even say it on Twitter. <laughs> you got it. And uh, you can check him out on Sportsnet. And this guy's putting out, what, on average, a couple articles a week these days. How do you do that in the offseason, by the way? How do you keep oh, it fresh? Oh, it's it's a grind. It's a grind. Every 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 Monday, my editor's like, "What do you got? Like, what do you got?" <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> if they asked you to do stuff been or hockey in months. What, what do you mean? What I got? But well, we 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 figure out something. Well, listen, just just do me a solid and don't write any fluff pieces about what kind of dogs they have or or what or what their <laughs> diets are because I may have said earlier in the show before we brought you on that I appreciate your pieces because they are hockey related pieces. So let's keep it on the ice here, eh, Luke? 
Yeah. You know what? The hockey related pieces seem to do well for our audience that like they come for sports. They, they don't, they don't want you to stray too far. Right on. Well, hopefully you don't stray too far from uh, joining us on the Pucks and D podcast, Luke. Again, thanks again so much for joining us and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime down the road. Yeah, invite me back at the end of the season. We'll see how I did on all those predictions. All right, sounds good. We'll make it a date. Thanks again, Luke. Okay, take care, guys. Cheers. Thank you. All right, well, that's Luke Fox Jukebox from Sportsnet. And uh, obviously another great example, Lesko, of someone who really knows their stuff. I mean, we've had lots of great guests here on the show. And, I mean, even dating back to our early episodes when we had some of our friends on the show you know it's 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 always a fun time it's always a fun time whether they got a twitter check mark see there's friends of the show now we're moving up we're moving up to friends of the show (laughs) what's the difference (laughs) because there's there's friends and then there's friends oh i see i see what you're saying luke fox is not our friend he's a friend of the show maybe he could be considered well you you work on that okay let me know how it goes if you get him on facebook then you're basically friends right all right, sounds good. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up here for episode 72, my friend. It was another great edition of the Pucks and Deep podcast. Thanks. What's up next, though? Tell the folks what's coming. Oh, you want to you want to go ahead and drop it for next week? All right, sounds good. So next week, we've got Tyler Mataraz joining the Pucks and Deep podcast again. And we're going to be talking strictly World Junior Championships with Tyler uh, he's uh, he's big on those foreign players, so I'm really he, he loves he his loves foreign prospects, loves the Russians. Yeah, we're gonna get lots of content out of Mr. Madras as usual. If you do want to check him out, of course he's on Sirius XM Channel 91 on your Sirius dial. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna tee up the World Juniors for you guys. Gonna have you all set to go on the holidays, so you have all the facts, nothing but the straight facts from these two lads on the Pucks and Deep podcast. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. That's a great outro, my friend. A little early Christmas gift from the Puck Pod. That's right. Speaking of which. Treat yourself. Speaking of which, just just quickly on the outro here, my friend. I did speak with our merch supplier, and there are some items available that will be able, that will be completed by Christmas. If you get the orders in, specifically mugs. And T-shirts. We had an order for some mugs recently, so someone's out there shopping Shopping for the Pucks and D podcast. So make sure you check check it out in the link, and you can head over there and get some Christmas gifts, late minute stocking stuffers. Galantmedia.ca/slash/pucksindeep. Get some. That's the one. Stocking stuffers. We'll see you guys next week.